We are continuing a study here in the fourth gospel account of Jesus. You might call it the fourth biography of Jesus. And uh, I thought about breaking rhythm and uh, just speaking on a single sermon this morning. But as it happens, the passage is about a resurrection. And so we're going to look at that this morning. When we began our study of this, uh, this biography of Jesus in the Gospel of John, we observed that Jesus, uh, that John did not leave us guessing about what his purpose was. And they're going to put up on the screen his own declaration about why he wrote this particular gospel. It says, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Watch this now. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's what this is all about. This gospel of John has been written to record seven major and particular signs that Jesus did, and he did many more. But he recorded seven of them to identify himself as truly God, the Son of God, and the Messiah, the one who was to come. These miracles were wonderful signs, he called them, but they always point to something else. They pointed to who he was, and he was the revelation to God, the revelation of God to man on planet Earth. I want us to uh, stand, and we're going to read now a passage of Scripture, and you say, stand? Yes, uh, we stand in honor of the Word of God, and we're going to read it, and um, you just help us now. The words are going to be up on the screen. We are looking at John chapter 11, a very, very familiar passage of Scripture uh, concerning the raising of a man named Lazarus from the dead. We're going to jump right into the story. I'll give you a little background about it in just a moment, and uh, it's uh, and it'll help us even after we read. So let's begin in verse number 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. Amen. What a passage. I am the resurrection and the life. Let's bow for prayer. Father, add your blessing to the preaching and teaching of your word this morning. I thank you for everyone that has come today, both those who come all the time and those that are our guests today. And I pray, Father, that this would be a message that would move us. And I pray that it would move us closer to Jesus, closer to the cross, closer to the truth of the resurrection. And I pray, Father, if there's someone that is despairing of hope, I pray that hope could be given to each and every one because 
Once death is conquered, what else can there be? Thank you so much, Jesus, and help us today. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen. And you can be seated. So let me give you a little bit of the setting so that you understand. There have already been six signs, and I won't rehearse them again. Welcome to go back and listen online to all the other sermons. But the religious leaders were livid. They were furious with Jesus. They had hounded him everywhere he went. They did so out of jealousy, and they did so out of fear of losing control. Religious leaders, afraid of losing control. But what happens next sent them over the edge. Even because of what happens in our passage today, they began something called the Passover plot to kill Jesus. Now, that story is going to unfold over the next few weeks. I trust you'll come and return and hear about it. Jesus, now at this moment, when we are reading this passage, as it begins in the first verse, uh, he is across Jordan and he's teaching. He's out of the sight of these Jewish leaders and a messenger arrived to Jesus where he was teaching close to the Jordan River and where John used to baptize all the time. Messengers arrived and told them that two sisters, his friends, Mary and Martha, were asking for him urgently to come to them in Bethany. Why? Because their brother Lazarus was sick and he needed to come quickly to heal him. Well, this was no problem for Jesus, really. Uh, We could go back and recount how many had healed. But even though they were his personal friends, and when I say that, this was a stopping point for Jesus when he would go to Jerusalem. Bethany, just on the backside of the Mount of Olives, close to another town called Bethphage, both having to do with fig trees. He, uh, he stopped off there and stayed with them. They gave him hospitality and they took care of him continually. Well, you, one would think when your friend, somebody that had done so much for you, asked you to come that you would just pick up and run immediately. But uh, he did not do that. He allowed Lazarus to die. And it's a very particular story and I encourage you to read it. We read the passage And Mary and Martha are devastated. I can imagine what's going through their mind. We thought you loved us. Why didn't you come? We read Martha's response. And if you know anything about the New Testament, you know Martha was busy. Martha always working and always like a bee at the hive was always getting the house in order and preparing things. But Mary was that one that was so spiritual. Even when Jesus had been there before, she had sat at his feet and listened and hung on to every word. But we find that not only did Martha ask, where were you? Why didn't you come? Verse 32, you can look at your Bible if you'd like. It says, then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, just as Martha had said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The people also that had gathered there to help them mourn, verse 37, they said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Everybody had it in mind, Jesus, you have failed. Why didn't you come? And so everyone was disappointed. He'd done so much for so many others. Sometimes he did things for people who didn't even come back to say thank you. Why did he allow this to happen? What could be the good of this? And that question. Why do you allow these things to happen is asking a million ways today like this, like where is God? Where is God in all of these mass shootings that we're hearing about? Where is God when social media comments and criticisms drive people to suicide? Where is God in all of these school shootings? Why doesn't an all-powerful God do something to stop the evil people from attacking 
and destroying innocent victims. I could go on and on. Where is God in the cases of drugs and rape and abuse and pedophilia and hate and murder and the genocides that are going on around the world? Well, it's kind of like the same question Mary and Martha asked as did those Jews that were mourning. Why didn't you come? Where were you? Why didn't you show up? I want to give just a few, uh, I've called this sermon the radical truth about the resurrection, some radical truth about the resurrection. I want to give a few observations, first of all, and that is this, it's kind of radical to think this, that Jesus would allow bad things to happen to good people. Did you ever ask yourself that question? It just seems like some of the best people go through some of the hardest times. And some of the people who are just, you know, really scoundrels, they just seem to get away scot-free. Well, that question is asked in a thousand ways over and over every day. And it was asked throughout the scriptures. In fact, Psalm 37 is all about that in many, many other locations in the scripture. It's radical. Doesn't that seem to fly in the face of a good God? Psalm 119, 80, 68 says that God is good and he does good. Well, what could be good about letting a friend die like this? Of letting the source of support and, for, and protection for these sisters to die. Here's something else kind of radical is to think that an all-powerful God would not intervene to prevent pain and suffering. I mean, why, why doesn't God just always stop all pain and suffering? The heartache and suffering that we experience when we lose a loved one, and we've lost many from our congregation over the last months and few years, they've gone into his presence and it just leaves those that are left behind with a heartache that's just very hard to find the salve to put on them to encourage them. Uh, he comforts us. Uh, I, know we, I know he comforts us in our troubles and he cares, but it, wouldn't it be the best comfort to prevent all of this pain? Maybe the loss is not death, maybe it's betrayal, maybe it's divorce or abandonment, or maybe it's physical abuse. Somebody's going to say, Pastor Phil, you're building a case for the doubters this morning. Well, there were doubters aplenty in our story, and there's doubters today. Here's another radical thought. That's this, is to consider that our health, our prosperity, our comfort, and our convenience are not God's top priority. And I think there's a lot of people who think that's God's job. Make things comfortable, give me great health, make me very pros prosperous, and give me tremendous convenience and access to everything I need. Doesn't the Bible say that God will take care of us because he cares for us? Well, what gives here? Here's a, one more radical thought. is to understand that God's plan could possibly include hard things, difficult experiences, and personal loss. Let's not stop with that. Let's, uh, these are just the initial reactions to personal hurt whenever things are going on. But folks, I want you to know this morning from our story that we're looking at that God sees far more of every situation than we do. And aren't you glad he does? You know, we have this situation in our life. We have this problem. We have been living for a certain period of time. And it has given us a measure of experience depending upon your age. But guess what? We serve a God who doesn't just live according to experience. He lives according to knowledge because there's no time with God. He's seen the past, the present, and the future. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's seen the beginning and the end. And he knew what he was doing with Lazarus. He saw beyond the moment. And I just want to assure you this morning that no matter what your moment is, no matter what's going on in your life, God sees beyond the moment. 
and he knows exactly what he is doing. Many times in my own personal life, I faced difficult situations and decisions that drove me to my knees, and I begged God to fix the situation in a specific and certain way. I have to stand here and tell you, boy, am I glad God did not answer the prayer the way I prayed it. How many of you have been there? You know what I'm talking about. If it got what I wanted, oh my goodness. God does what glorifies him, folks, and he does what is good for us. But this amazing encounter that we're looking at today is not unrelated to what Jesus has been doing and what he has been saying all along. Last week, in fact, I really emphasized this passage of scripture. Would you put it on the screen there? It's Matthew, or excuse me, it's John chapter 10 and verse number 27. It says this, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone, listen to these words, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. My dad was, he had, we played this game, you know where you do, where you put your hand out there and you see if you can clap and move your hand and all that kind of stuff, or else you do this and you slap down and, and just so rapid and everything. Well, my dad would do it a little bit different. He would, whatever we were doing, if, if we weren't paying attention, if we uh, had a, a piece of a hamburger left in our hand or something, he would just, he would reach it, just snatch it out of our hand really fast, just take it and just hold it like that and just laugh. He'd say, see, you weren't watching. I snatched it out of your hand. And then he would say something like, yeah, but nobody can snatch you out of God's hand. Just can't do it. And it's impossible. Nothing can snatch you out of the Lord's hand. So what's happening now in chapter 11 is not unrelated to that wonderful truth and promise that nothing and no one is able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. Nothing can snatch you out of Jesus' hands. You are safe and secure in the hands of Jesus. And Mary and Martha, though in a situation of personal hurt and pain, they were safe and they were secure and everything was okay because they had never left Jesus' hands. Remember this. This story in chapter 11 is an illustration of life in God's hands. Life in God's hands. Remember this, everything that happens in my life first passes through the hands of my father in heaven. In fact, it happens to me while I am in his hands. In our passage, we read down through a verse, but I want to pick it up in verse 33. And you just follow along as I read beginning in verse number 33. It says this, it says, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, speaking of Mary and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb, and it was a cave. A stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who were standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you have sent me. 
Now, when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. They were praying and hoping and wishing that he'd come and prevented sickness and death. Jesus didn't want to do that. Jesus wanted to come and conquer death. He wanted to come and show them, I have the power over death. Because you see, I am the resurrection and the life. He refused to answer the request the way that they wanted. They wanted Jesus to heal him. Jesus did something far greater. He raised him from the dead. If he healed him, praise the Lord. But he chose not to heal him, but to raise him from the dead. And all I can say is, oh, my Lord and my God, what glory the Father and the Son received because a dead man lived. What glory, what praise. You know, the Bible says in John chapter 1, John was a witness now, and he is writing this. And, of course, he's written the whole thing, and he's musing in himself, and he says, And we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of joy. He said, Here's my testimony. Here's what I can tell you. I was with him during all of these times, but I was also with him when he raised Lazarus from the dead and everything he did was glorious. Everything he said was magnificent. Every, you know what? Everything Jesus does, everything Jesus says, everything, everything about him is just wonderful. Amen. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. It made the priests so angry that they began to devise a second plot, not just to kill Jesus, but to kill Lazarus as well. You want to talk about radical Think about these truths about the resurrection. Number one, you might want to jot these down. Jesus makes promises and he keeps them. How many of you ever made a few promises in your life to somebody? You made a promise. How many? Put your hand up. Come on. Same group hand up. Put the other hand up if you ever had to break it. Jesus makes promises and he keeps them. Verse number 23, your brother will rise again. She believed that. Martha did. She pointed to the latter-day resurrection, but we just read that Jesus didn't wait till the latter-day resurrection. (laughs) He raised Lazarus right then and there. Could you imagine if somebody stepped up at a funeral and said something like this, hold on, folks, before you're dismissed, what we're going to do here is we're going to wait because I'm just going to, a few minutes, I'm going to raise this person from the dead. We would be calling the authorities to come and people with white coats, we'd say, please come get this guy because, I mean, that's what we would be saying. That is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus had been doing radical, unbelievable, unprecedented things all along. Uh, Life giver is a major theme that we can trace all the way through the book of John. Where there was death, he gave life. Where there was, uh, was no hope, he gave hope. He's just a life giver. And I mean this. I mean, who gets baptized? We're talking about who Jesus is. Who gets baptized and a voice comes out of heaven to approve the event saying, this is my beloved son. And I'm really pleased with him who puts on a healing event where every single person who shows up, you know, they're so-called healers today, but hard cases they tend to push aside. Matthew 4, 4, 24, speaking of Jesus, his fame went throughout all of Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them all. Amazing. Why not believe him? Everything he did, everything he attempted, he succeeded in doing. And it's pretty radical to know that Jesus never fails. 
Every promise he ever made, he keeps. I made a promise to us, to those of you that are believers, he said one day, don't be troubled. My father's got a house and in it are many rooms and many living places and I'm going to go away. And if I go away, I'm coming again. And I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am, you too can be there. He makes promises. And the second thing is Jesus makes claims and then he proves them. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Wow, that's an amazing thing for him to say. Some of you may be here today and we, two or three of the songs that we sang this morning had this whole idea of I am in it. I'm the great I am. And you say, well, that, that's kind of a peculiar way of talking about somebody I am. Well, it speaks to his present tense existence and it's always been true. He was I am all the way back as far as you want to talk about in eternity. And he is I am as far as you want to talk about into the future because he's timeless. He's not limited by time. He is the great I am. In the Old Testament, God revealed his name to Moses. And here's what he said to him. Moses, you're wanting to know who's given you the authority to go and deliver my people from Egypt. Well, tell them that I am who I am is sending you. And you're to say this, I am has sent you. So here we come to this passage of scripture and he says it, and this is the fourth time in our, in our study of John that he has used these words. I am, he said, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. Now he comes and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so Martha's thinking about the resurrection as an event Jesus is saying the resurrection is not an event. The resurrection is a person and it's me. I am the resurrection and the life. He gives life. He is life. He's the source of life. He's light and life and he gives it to us. You know what the world needs? You know why this world is so dark? It's because there's just not enough of Jesus being talked about and shared with people today. He is the light and he gives life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life in John 6. And he proved it by feeding up to 18,000 people. That's 5,000 plus wives and children with a snack lunch. He said, I am the light of the world in John 8, 12. And he proved it by opening the eyes of a blind man. He was born blind and he showed him the light and he showed him the truth for the first time. I am the door. If anybody enters by me, he will be saved. He proved it by opening the way to God through his own life, death and resurrection. I am the good shepherd. We talked about it and he proved it by his willingness to be a good shepherd by laying down his life for his sheep. And he did it. He laid down his life. He died for them. And ultimately, as I am, I am Jehovah God. Then death couldn't hold him. And he himself rose from the dead to declare victory and to have dominion over it. You see, death gets defeated when Jesus gets involved. Jesus did something else. He faced death and he conquered it. Verse 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, he who believes in me, he who believes in me, he who believes in me. You see, there's two groups of people on the planet. Those that believe and those who do not believe. Those who have entrusted the safekeeping of their soul to Jesus and those who have not, some outright reject him. Others contemplate but never come to a decision. Others fool themselves into thinking by church attendance and by all these things that I can just win my way into God's good, good graces by the way I behave. No, no, no. There's two groups of people. There are people who are safe and secure. They're saved. And there are people who are unsafe, insecure, and they're lost. There are people who believe in him. And there are people who have yet 
to believe in him. There are people who have entrusted everything to him. And then there are people who have yet, there's two groups of people in the world. Forget races, forget ages, forget socioeconomic, forget all of that. When God looks down, he says, there's those that are mine and there are those that are not mine. Oh, it's so important. He says, I am the resurrection and the life and he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then the question, do you believe this? And this is Martha. He's asking this question too. You know, what Jesus did in the seventh sign in raising Lazarus from the dead, it was different than all the other signs. All of them were, were recuperations. They were all improvements. They were all helping people who couldn't see, see, and people who couldn't walk, walk. And those are miraculous and amazing. And people who couldn't hear, hear. And I only know as it goes, but here we talk about a person who couldn't preambulate. He couldn't walk. Here's a man who couldn't breathe. Here's a man who was dead. Here's a man who had been dead four days. I learned this this week. Why was it so significant that it was four days? Because the Jews had this idea that the spirit of, at this time, they had this idea that the spirit of the man hung around for about three days, but after the third day, there's just no hope. He's not just, he's not swooning. He's dead. And so the fourth day, corruption definitely would have been set in and the man would have been beyond beyond reach. So it was the fourth day and Martha said, he stinks or it's a stench. Please don't open up. Everybody thought it was just too late. I want to tell you for Jesus, it's never too late. It's never too late. Some people think I have just sinned so grievously. I have done so many things that are wrong. I want you to know that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. Oh my, he loves us. Jesus conquered death for Lazarus. He said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And she believed in a general resurrection of the dead, but she didn't understand his point. Though a person dies physically, they will live. That is, they will defy death. They will live again. This Martha understood and believed it, verse 24. This was an Old Testament teaching, and Jesus had emphasized it over and over. In John 5, 25, he said, the hour is coming when the graves will open and the dead will live. John 6, 39, 40, 44, and many other verses, he said, those who hear his voice will be raised on the last day. And if a person lives and believes in me, speaking of, his, of himself, Jesus says, he will never die. Now, this is new. Obviously, Jesus is not saying that physical death never comes to anyone because Lazarus at that very moment was in a state of decomposition. He stinketh. In our version, it says he, there is a stench. He was saying, and he says to us today that in Christ, there is a spiritual reality today, presently, and it never ends. And one day it'll give way to physical Resurrection. So there's a group of people, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, that are going to be alive when the Lord returns. And they're, not, they're going to rise into his presence and be transformed without ever experiencing this physical death. But the majority of folks, I dare say, will go through what Lazarus did. Die, die a physical death and wait on a literal resurrection when the Lord comes and calls. He conquered death for Lazarus and he conquered death himself this is what we celebrate today. He conquered his own death. Martha knew that he would conquer death one day, just not today. Jesus knew that he, the resurrection and the life, could conquer death and do so immediately. 
Verse number 33 again, notice it says that they were coming together. Uh, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, the Jews who came with them weeping, he groaned. Then look at verse number 35, Jesus wept. And look at verse number 38, groaned again. He groaned, he wept, and he groaned. You say, what is that all about? Well, Jesus wept, verse number 35. He saw the pain in the eyes. He heard the anguish and the weeping, and Jesus wept with them. Comes from a word that literally means the the tears flowed down his face. Away with the idea that Jesus could not be touched with our pain and that he really doesn't care because Jesus showed then and there, along with everyone else, real emotion. He wept at the pain that the loss had caused. Jesus groaned. He said, what's the difference? Isn't that just him still weeping? No, no, no. He he was weeping. That had to do with the emotion at the loss. Groaning is another word altogether. It's a different word. It's about anger. It's about burning rage against the final enemy, death. And he who wielded the power, the power of the fear of death. B.B. Warfield wrote this and it's precious. The spectacle of distress of Mary and her companions outraged Jesus because it brought poignantly home to his consciousness the evil of death, the unnaturalness of death, the violent tyranny of death, as Calvin said. In Mary's grief, he sees and feels the misery of the whole human race, and he burns with rage against the oppressor of men. It is death that is the object of his wrath, and behind death, him who holds the power of death, whom he had come into this world to destroy. Tears of sympathy fill his eyes, but that's incidental because his soul is held in rage, and as he advances to the tomb in Calvin's words as a champion he prepares for the conflict and I'm here to tell you that Jesus' death burial and resurrection was a declaration of war and conquer on death itself and the master of death the devil himself and I'm here to tell you the resurrection takes away all of that Jesus rose from the dead and death hell and the grave have been conquered forever How many of you believers in Jesus say amen? Well, I'm here to tell you that the grave may get you and you may die and the worms may consume your body, but that's not the end of the story. Jesus is going to come and call. And when his voice is heard, those that are in the graves are going to come out according to the scriptures, just like Lazarus did on this day. And we will rise to be with him forever. This is new. It's unexpected. Mary and Martha and all the mourners had their tears of anguish changed first into astonishment and then into praise without limit. They weren't thinking about healing Lazarus anymore, burying Lazarus anymore, mourning Lazarus anymore. They were only concerned with getting him out of those rags and letting him loose. The tense of the verb is so important. I am the resurrection and the life right now. Everybody listen. Do you believe this? Look what it says there. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's because it's a spiritual birth that comes into our life. It's a fire that's lit in our soul that never goes out. This raising of Lazarus was astounding. It was radical. But even more radical is the fact that Jesus himself also died the horrible death of crucifixion for you and for me in our place to redeem us from the penalty of our sins, which is death. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. 
The angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Ah, there's nothing more encouraging today to know that an empty tomb in Palestine today is still an absolute guarantee that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And I'm glad you're here today. I trust you've listened to what I have shared and that you've heard God's voice speaking to you. Jesus is calling. And if you can hear him as a believer, then you can say amen. And with Martha, you can say, yes, I have believed. But this morning, maybe you're hearing another voice. Maybe you're here and you're yet to believe, but you're hearing a voice. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Maybe you're hearing a voice and Jesus, through the preaching of his word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Maybe through the hearing of this word preached and the, and the explanation of this story, maybe there's a voice saying, yes, and I died for you and I rose for you and you need to believe. The same question that was asked to Martha, I will pose to you today, do you believe this? Well, he's calling you today to bring him your sins, confess him as Lord, and receive him by faith as Savior. God offers freedom from sins and penalty from its power and dominion if we come to him believing. If we come to him believing, bow your heads and close your eyes. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is rescued from sin's curse. For with the heart one believes and is declared righteous. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And here it is. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's be still for just a moment. I'm going to just say this. Today is Easter. It's a day to remember that Jesus rose from the dead. But it's not just a historical, not just a historical moment about which we just celebrate and shout. (laughs) It's a personal guarantee that if you believe in him, that he rose from the dead, that he died for your sins, if you'll call on him personally... He will receive you for as many as received him. To them, he gives power to become the sons of God to as many as believe and call on his name. Our Father, I pray that you would take the message and the preaching of your word and apply it to our hearts today. I pray for every believer here that sometimes wonders, Jesus, why didn't you come running? Why didn't you do what I asked? Where were you when the pain was so hard? Don't make the assumption that Jesus was anywhere except carrying you through the moment already. Because it didn't happen to you outside of God's hands. It happened to you in God's hands. For those of you that have yet to believe on Jesus, I just love to say to you this morning, let this Easter be the day that you say yes to Jesus. Call on him. Brother Marty and I are going to hang out down front here. If you'd like to talk to us about it, and there'll be some other folks that'll be here. If you'd like to talk to somebody, please come and do that. Now, Lord, we're all done, and we're going to go home. I pray that you would 
let these thoughts be in the minds of people. And I pray, Father, that if there's one here today or two or 10 or 20 that does not know you as Savior, I pray that they would not leave this place until they come to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for us and for rising again. Thank you for giving us a demonstration in the story of Lazarus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.